I remember when I got baptized. Um, I remember looking out of the crowd and seeing some familiar people, and I remember how nervous I was uh, about getting baptized because it was just this thing that seemed very personal to me, and yet at the same time, it was this public thing that I was doing. Uh, I, I hadn't been a believer for very long, maybe about three months, I believe, and even though I was excited to get baptized, like I said, I was nervous, um, but all of us were celebrating that day. And so I think it's important for us to understand what baptism really is all about. Like, what is this thing? And, and, and why do we do it? Uh, that kind of stuff. Because the last thing we want is for things in people's lives to feel like uh, ritual without relationship. Um, this is a, a ritual type thing that you could say historically, but there is a relational component to it that matters. And, and I think it's important that we recognize that. So what is baptism? Well, uh, the, one of the first times, or one of the first times I read about baptism, and it was an incredibly memorable thing for me, is in actually the book of Acts. So in the book of Acts, Acts chapter two, we have a scenario here where uh, Peter, the disciple uh, of Jesus is preaching to a crowd of, of Jewish people that are coming from all over the place. And in his preaching, he talks about how uh, the Messiah was actually killed and, and the crowd responds and they're like, well, what, what should we do? And so if you have your Bibles with you, I want you to turn with me to Acts chapter 2, verse 38, because Peter replies to them uh, what it is that they should then do in response to hearing about Jesus. Acts chapter 2, verse 38, if you don't know where the book of Acts is in the beginning of your Bible, there's a table of contents, please use it. Uh, Acts chapter 2, verse 38, here's what it says. Peter replied to them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the Holy Spirit. The promise, this is verse 39, the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord will will call. Let's pray together. Lord God, I thank you so much for our time together, and I thank you for uh, this opportunity for us to talk about this ordinance, this sacrament, this uh, ritual that you have established for us to be an expression of our faith. Uh, and, and so, Lord God, I ask that as we are looking into your word, that we come to a better understanding of what baptism is, what it means, and why we do it. In your name I pray. Amen. Um, so, what is it? Well, the act of water baptism, the, the word baptism actually comes from the Greek called baptizo. And it's the idea of, of being immersed, uh, that you are, yeah, it's exactly what it sounds like. It, you are immersed. And, uh, and so it's a very important step in, in the Christian life. In Matthew chapter 3, verse 13 to 17, we actually see Jesus himself uh, coming to his cousin John in order to get baptized. And, and Jesus talks about that from the perspective of fulfilling all righteousness. So Jesus's baptism is a bit different from ours in that our baptism represents something um, that Jesus didn't need to deal with. Our, our baptism represents this whole idea of being washed and clean from sin. And Jesus didn't have any sin. And so his baptism, if you want to learn more about that, a couple of weeks ago, we had a, a conversation about that. And so feel free to go and, and take a look at that. But we see that he went to his cousin John to fulfill all righteousness in his baptism. And then he went on to establish baptism as this 
uh, eternal ordinance, this practice of the church, calling every single believer to fall, into his fo fall in his footsteps. And, um, and, and the reference we have there is Matthew 28, verse 19, where he says, go into all the world, um, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And when we think of baptism, I often think of a wedding ring, actually. Um, a wedding ring is an outward sign that a person is married. And that's what, that's what this is. This wedding ring is a sign that I am married. Now, the wedding ring doesn't make me married. Um, it is a symbol that I am married. And, and so similarly, water baptism is a symbol designed by God to identify the person as a disciple of Jesus. Now, I use the word symbol carefully. Um, to say that it's just a symbol takes away from the depth and the beauty of what water baptism actually is. Yeah, baptism is a symbol, but it's so much more than that. When we're saved, we're spiritually baptized into Christ, according to Galatians chapter 3, verse 27. Baptized into his body, uh, the church, according to 1 Corinthians 12, 13. So baptism in water is this outward representation of these inward realities. In biblical symbolism, water represents a number of things. It represents inner cleansing. If you, if you read Hebrews chapter 10, verse 22, it says, Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled uh, to cleanse us from guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. And so it's, the, it's a symbol of this inner cleansing, but it's also a symbol of spiritual rebirth. In John chapter 3, verse 5, Jesus is having a conversation with a well-known uh, teacher of the law. He's a Pharisee. His name is Nicodemus. Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night. They're having this conversation. And, and Jesus answers Nicodemus's question of how one gets saved. And he says, very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and born of spirit. And so it's the idea of this rebirth that it would represent. And, and these are both central themes within this whole idea of baptism. Water baptism is, in essence, you could say it's a funeral in one sense, and it's a birth in another. It's an act of faith in where we testify both to God and to the world that the person we were before is dead, and that's that funeral piece. But this new person that we have, that we become, that we're raised as a new creation in Christ, and it's beautifully illustrated in Colossians chapter 2, verse 12. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. And so you never actually uh, read of a person historically that would consider themselves a Christian that wasn't baptized. It, in, in fact, baptism immediately followed people's salvation experiences uh, they didn't see it as something to be delayed or to put off um, and, you know, to a point where, you know, you, you had to attain a certain level of holiness or something before you were able to be baptized. The pattern in the book of Acts, like we just read in Acts chapter 2, verse 38, when people respond to Peter's sermon on the day of Pentecost, he says, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. In verse 41, it says, Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. 
And so you hear the good news, you accept the good news, and you are baptized in response to that good news. Acts chapter 8, verse 26 to 40, it speaks of another disciple of Jesus by the name of Philip. And Philip is leading uh, this Ethiopian eunuch to Jesus. So Philip sees this guy, he, he is in his chariot, he's being pulled along. He goes and has a conversation with him because he sees that this guy is reading from the book of Isaiah. And, and he finishes this conversation of explaining uh, who Jesus is through the, through the scriptures. And then the Ethiopian eunuch enthousi enthusiastically asks a question. It says here in, in chapter 8, verse 26 to 40, or specifically 36 to 40, or 38. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here is water. What can stand in my way of being baptized? Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. And the eunuch answered, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Now, verse 37 there, just going to point out very quickly that that is in a lot of manuscripts, but it's not in every manuscript. So your Bible may not actually have that particular passage recorded, uh, but just know that uh, nothing's being added to the scripture necessarily here. It's just some manuscripts have it, some don't. Uh, and then he says, and he gave orders to stop the chariot, and then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. And so again, we have this scenario where somebody learns about the truths of who Jesus is, they accept those truths, and they're immediately... Uh, it, the reaction, the response to it is to be baptized. Acts chapter 22, verse 16, uh, the first thing the apostle Paul is told to do after his conversion was be baptized. So Paul is, uh, he, we know him as Paul, his original name it got changed from Saul to Paul. Saul was this persecutor of the church. Uh, he was actually holding cloaks when Stephen the martyr was, uh, was killed. And so in Acts chapter 22, verse 16, it says, And now what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, and wash your sins away, calling on his name. And so this is the instruction that Paul had when he converted. All of these people responded to Jesus in simple faith. And they didn't see their faith as complete, though, until they obeyed God by being baptized. Now, this, this is important. Keep in mind that faith without works, right? Faith without these corresponding actions that are the fruit of our faith is dead. That's James chapter 2, verse 17. And so a living faith produces an obedient heart. One of the things that people fail to recognize is that um, the act of obedience in, in baptism is actually our first step of obedience to Jesus. And we don't like the language of obedience, you know, because the language of obedience means that someone's in charge of us, and we don't like people being in charge of us. We want to be our own person. But the reality is, is that Jesus calls us into a place of obedience. Now, if we understand that baptism is an act of obedience, well, the rest of these passages begin to make a little bit more sense for us as it relates to baptism, as obedience. Matthew 7, 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. So there's an act of obedience. There's this language of obedience, right? You've got to do the will of the Father, not your own will, right? Luke 6, 46. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? And so again, the idea of Jesus being Lord in our lives requires us to be obedient to Him, to do the things that He says. 1 John chapter 2, verse 3 and 4. We know that we have come to know Him if we keep His commands. 
Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in that person. Water baptism is an act of obedience. When we receive God's saving grace, it's no accident that he calls us to identify with him in a way that makes it very real to us. So it's this act of obedience, but it's also this thing for us. It's a, it's a very powerful reminder of God's grace in our lives. The person we were before is dead forever, and we're raised with Jesus as this totally new creation. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. And, and this is Paul talking to the Corinthian church about how we now view people who have accepted Jesus. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone, the new is here. And so ultimately, it all goes back to Jesus' statement in John 14, 15. If you love me, keep my commandments. As a symbol, baptism visually reenacts his burial in the grave and his resurrection to life. When we see a new believer walk into the water or go down on the water or they're sprinkled with water, we're seeing what Jesus did to save them. Romans chapter 6, verse 4. We are therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. And so God relates to his people through covenant. A covenant is something more than a contract. It, it, is, it is this unbreakable um, vow of two parties coming together. When God established his covenant with Abraham, there was a sign of the covenant given. And that sign was circumcision. In the new covenant in Jesus, God has established um, this baptism as this outward sign of this inclusion within the covenant. And so baptism is a simple but profound act of obedience that we will carry with us for the rest of our lives. If we haven't yet taken that step, if you're here and you're listening to this and you haven't taken that step of baptism, I strongly encourage you to do so as soon as possible. This, this isn't about getting cleaned up. This is about, do you believe that Jesus is exactly who he says he is? And if so, and you say yes to Jesus, placing your faith in him, receiving his grace, his gift of grace, his gift of salvation, the next step in our lives is baptism. Now, we can't take baptism without first embracing the reality of what it represents, right? A living relationship with Jesus, because without this, baptism, that's just simply getting wet. That's all it is. It, there's nothing else to it. Knowing Jesus is the most exciting relationship that you can enjoy. It's the beginning of life, a life of adventure and with an all-loving, all-powerful God. If you have sincerely asked Jesus to come into your life, then you can be sure that your relationship with God is secure. As a result of Christ's death on the cross, being the only sufficient provision for us to have a relationship with God, we have been completely forgiven and accepted by Him. Jesus died on the cross for our sins so that we could be in relationship with Him. And He's not indifferent to this. He went through great lengths to bring us into relationship with Him. Jesus took our sins on Himself. He covered us with His righteousness, making us fully forgiven and fully accepted by Him. We don't have to first live good lives or to perform religious rituals or spend years begging Him. 
God is the one who made it possible for us to have a relationship with him. And we come to him based on what he did for us rather than on what we think we're able to do. He paid our sins to forgive us and come into our lives. And, and if you need any encouragement with this, let me share some more passages with you. First Peter chapter 3, verse 18. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. This is what he did for us. When a person takes Jesus into their life, it's exciting to know what he actually says about our new relationship with him. You're at peace with God. Romans 5.1. Therefore, since we are justified, the word justified there can be translated as saved. Since we are justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You become his child when you accept him. John 1.12. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. You are now the child of God. You are no longer living in darkness. Ephesians 5.8. For you were once in darkness, but now you are in the light of the Lord. Live as children of light. Colossians 1.13-14. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. No longer in darkness. We are forgiven. Acts 10.43. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Ephesians 1, 7 and 8. In him we have the redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. 1 John 4, 9 and 10. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. We are forgiven. And you've been given eternal life when you accept Jesus. John 5, 24, Very truly I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. You have eternal life. You see, every one of these things is based on something God did on our behalf. It is the God of all things, the one who created out of nothing, pursuing his creation, becoming like his creation, dying for his creation, raising from the dead for his creation, so that his creation can be with him in eternity. That's what we get. And baptism symbolizes all of that. All of that. So if you haven't been baptized yet and you are a follower of Jesus Christ, my encouragement to you is give us a shout. Let us baptize you. Uh, call your pastor if you're not from our congregation. Let them baptize you. And if you haven't accepted Jesus Christ, then would you just consider all of these truths and what it could mean for your life and receive Jesus today? Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you so much for our time here. And I pray, Lord, that these truths would be things that would just resonate. Lord, anything that's not of you, I ask, would be forgotten. But only the things that are of you would be remembered. And that people would see what baptism 
truly is and be willing to walk forward in obedience to you. Lord, for those who don't know you, I pray, Jesus, right now that, that they would come to a saving knowledge of who you are so that they can receive the forgiveness, the adoption, the moving from dark to light, having eternal life. Lord, because we know that your desire is that nobody would perish, but that everyone would come to life in you. Thank you, Jesus, for all that you do for us. In your precious name I pray. Amen.